Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is October 16th, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's issues in under an hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How are you, my friend? Oh, great. I mean, we still have, uh, like, early fall temperatures, and uh, it's about 10 degrees warmer than normal. Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, but forecast says that in a, in a, I think by the end of this coming week, it's supposed to be back to seasonal normals. So enjoy it while you can. Absolutely. Enjoy it while you can. All right, so Canada, before we get into the show here, just a couple of housekeeping things. One, I want to give a shout out to our listener, Mackenzie, who just recently went across the border to the U.S. and when he came home, actually had no harassment, did not have to to, uh, use the Arrive Can app, did not have to tell anybody where he was going and how long he planned on staying. He said he just simply flashed his passport. They scanned it, said, have a nice day. And I thought, wow, that actually, to me, is some semblance of back to normal. What? No harassment? Yeah, what the hell, eh? Come on, CBSA. (laughs) You're not doing your job. Exactly. Harass us, please. That's right. Govern us harder, Daddy. <laughs> All right, and on another note, uh, Canada, remember the name Matea Roach? She was the 23 time Jeopardy champion. Well, she now is a uh, host of a, a podcast talking politics from the complete opposite side of the spectrum as us. And as soon as I saw the name Matea Roach and Canada Land, well, I knew it was going to be trouble. So I will not be making a podcast recommendation, but just for those who are curious about where she is now. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, from what you described, because I'm not going to subject myself to it, it sounds like she's awfully left. She certainly is, and uh, one of her contributors even said as much that well the circle of people I'm in always do tend to vote NDP and I thought wow I never would have got that by listening to you (laughs) (laughs) that's like saying hey Tony you know the people I surround myself with generally vote conservative what (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) alright so on the show today One more thing about dental care, Freedom Convoy Inquiry sets some witnesses. What do do Florida and Europe have to do with Canada? Resistance is growing, Halloween in Oakville, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Oh, let's just start at the top. Okay, so um, when I mentioned Matea Roach, she actually taught me something and that was about the dental care program that I mean number one we already had said that this whole $650 idea was kind of ridiculous just raining cash down but it's not raining cash down it's actually a reimbursement program now people who are have a less than $90,000 family income 
can qualify for up to $650 for dental care services for children under 12, but they have to spend the money first, get the receipt from their dentist, and then enter the, the Canada Revenue Agency bureaucracy to try to get that money back. Well, if there was ever a way to not actually carry through on a program, this is it. Good point. Because people making, you know, a family that has a household income of like 50 or 60 grand, they can't afford that 650 bucks in the first place. So congratulations, you're not reimbursing anybody. Like that's that's what this is coming down to. Like, the, I mean, if you're gonna have a dental plan, have a dental plan. But if you're just gonna do a, a an income tax reimbursement, um, well, it's never gonna be fulfilled. And uh, and honestly, as a taxpayer, I couldn't be happier that this is that this is the program. But let's. Be real, those people that actually needed it, they're not going to use it because they don't have the money to spend in the first place. I mean, we know on this show, we've talked about it, how, like, uh, what was it last year? Like 50, 50% of Canadians were 200 bucks or less away from insolvency. And I think it's up to 70% now. So, I mean, uh, I mean, they don't even have two hundred dollars to spend on dental care. Never mind six hundred and fifty. So, yeah, I mean, as a taxpayer, this is a program I'm kind of happy with because they won't be spending a whole bunch of money. No, you're right. Um, when you've got less than two hundred dollars at the end of the month, well, the last thing you're thinking about is dental care, and. Whoever wants to deal with CRA on anything, and and one of the panelists on Mateo Rocha's show actually had brought up a, what I had something I hadn't even thought of, and that is shared custody agreements for families that are that are are split up. Um, you know, if like which parent is actually responsible for the dental care or decisions, whatnot? How much money do they make? And, or do you share that between both custodial parents in the case of a shared custody agreement? And my head started to spin because I thought, now you're going to expect CRA to play social worker as well as be the arbiter of who does and doesn't get this money. And I just thought, what a mess. Well, I, I don't think it's that big of a mess. I mean, because the, the family... The Family Law Act, or whatever, I don't know what it's called, to be quite honest. I've never been divorced, so I don't need to know. Um, the, uh, the way the law works is that only only the parent that has, like, uh, majority custody would get it, right? Um, because they, get to, they claim the tax deductions on their TD1s, um, like they're already going to be registered as the as the uh, custodial parent, right? And so, I mean, when it comes to fifty-fifty agreements, I, I mean, I don't think it would work any different than your tax, like your tax deductions on your TD one forms. 
Yes and no. Uh, I know the arrangement that I had. I mean, my kids are all both over 18 now, but each parent would, would claim one of the kids. So, I mean, in the situations like that, it tends to get a little messy because then you might end up with one, one parent would be maybe under that level and the other parent over that level. Now you've got, you know, one kid who can't get covered, so... Uh, yeah, but doesn't that all uh, kind of balance out with uh, child support? Yeah, well, one would think that, but but yeah, that's like I say, that's when the the water starts getting a little muddy. So yeah, but you well, right. I know I've got I've got a friend going through a divorce right now, and he tells me about all the crazy stuff that family law courts, uh, uh, you know, like the the the, the, the legislation actually forces like. This one blew my mind, and that's the one that says that if you get divorced, both parents are legally responsible for paying for post-secondary education. But if you stay married, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. There's some real intricacies in that that whole plan. Yeah. So, uh, but you're right. As far as the dental care goes, uh, that means we as taxpayers are going to be paying for. A lot fewer claims than I had thought, so I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. All right. So from dental care, let's actually hit on that shadow cabinet again for a while. I did a rant earlier this week, um, a little ticked off that Pierre Polyev kind of grew the size of government in naming the shadow cabinet. It's not costing us any more money, but it's something that uh, that you wanted to bring up. Yeah. I mean, I listened to your rant, and I and I agree. I mean, it, it is a little bit worrisome. To me, it's a little concerning that his leadership team is twice the size it needs to be. His cabinet is twice the size it needs to be. Um, I mean, the only the only thing I take solace in is that the shadow cabinet, like shadow ministers, don't get paid more than regular MPs. Um, that's the only bit of solace I, I'm taking from it. I mean, so it really doesn't matter. He could make every single MP in the party. Uh, a, a shadow minister and it wouldn't cost us any more so that that's the only thing that I I, I take as a positive from this otherwise it, it shows me a, a little bit of concern I mean he might, maybe he's maybe he's trying people out so when he does win the next election he knows which ones performed and which ones didn't okay that that's a thought. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that angle. Yeah, I mean, so, but at the same time, I'm like, it's not good optics. No, and that that's that's what uh, bothers me. It is not good optics. It uh, it looks like he's trying to find every MP something to do. I mean, uh, other than you know Michelle Rempel Garner and. Uh, you know Ed Fast and a few others that did not get cabinet or shadow cabinet posts, but yeah, it almost looks like he just wants to keep everybody busy. And I just thought that's that's typically not a right of center sort of view. No, I mean because I mean you and I both when when uh, when Stephen Harper was prime minister, you and I both complained about the size of his cabinet. I mean it's and and Trudeau's cabinet is large. But it's not even as big as Harper's was, and um, and, and I just uh, 
so I mean I'm, I'm a little because there is there is some truth to what Maxime Bernier said right on our on our show like when you when you interviewed him he uh, he said conservative conservatives generally uh, they they talk all the right right wing conservative talking points when they're running for leader and then when they become leader they they stop um, and they start talking center to left of center uh, talking points to appeal to the uh, to the uh, to greater Toronto area right and um, uh, and there is truth to that I mean Harper was a reform like he was a reformer and I the only thing that he ever did that really well he did a couple of things but not very many that were actually reform party policies and that one was cutting the GST and the other was mandatory minimum sentences for criminals um, otherwise he really didn't carry through any of those reform party policies that he was a champion of no that's true and and uh I know he was in a minority government for a few years, but he's you know ran up some pretty big deficits buying off the opposition, and that definitely is not something that conservatives would normally be in favor of. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, it did. I couldn't help but think of Maxime Bernier in our in our interview after uh, that shadow cabinet was released, because I remember Maxime Bernier saying to me that, oh yeah, Polyev will he'll pivot left and he will he has to try to. To please that voter base, then you own the GTA and uh, the Laurentian Triangle, and well, I mean, uh, Max isn't a hundred percent wrong. I mean, he wasn't completely right yet. I'm not, I'm not giving up on Pierre Polyev. I still think he's he's talking a good conservative game, but he certainly doesn't talk about a lot of things that got him elected to leader. Yeah, and with all with all respect to Maxime Bernier. Uh, Pierre Polyev is our only option and our only hope. So I hope that he doesn't backtrack um, on on all his all the stuff that he promised during the campaign. Um, because there's a lot there's a lot of people out here that are counting on him following through on on what he said he would do. Uh, I, I mean, you and I are both firearms owners. We're counting on him to say to do what he said he would do in regards to firearms. We're counting on him to do what he says he's going to do on uh, on the carbon tax and on um, online freedom and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he 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 better not backtrack and go left, like. Two leaders in a row have tried that, and it and it blew up in their faces both times. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, like I say, we he is our only hope. So he uh, he had best follow through. And so I'm I'm going to go with you and say maybe he is just this is the tryouts for for the real cabinet when he wins government. Yeah, and I mean, like there's one thing that I say on this show quite a bit is um, you can't you can't beat the liberals by being liberals you yeah. gotta beat the liberals by being conservatives, you gotta give people a different choice, not a choice of the same 
hey, here, vote for us because we're exactly the same. We just won't be corrupt. Yeah. Uh, come on, that's 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 such a stupid way of approaching it, of of, of approaching an election. You got to give an alternative. Yeah, exactly. And that was something Aaron O'Toole definitely did not do. So no, absolutely not. All right, so let us talk a little bit about, well, an issue that's near and dear to your heart, and that is the the federal gun confiscation. Well, resistance is growing. Uh, started with Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba quickly joined in, Yukon's on board, and now New Brunswick has decided to say, um, no, we're, uh, we're not doing this. Yeah, and it's looking more and more like British Columbia, uh, Ontario, Quebec are going to be on the wrong side of history. And um, because the movement is growing amongst the provincial leadership. It I really, mean, yeah. I'm surprised the Northwest Territories and Nunavut haven't joined in yet because uh, firearms and hunting and all of that is a, is very much part of of their daily lives up there. Uh, so I'm I'm a little surprised they haven't jumped in yet, but I would not be surprised when they do. Yeah, I'm with you, and I'm actually uh, I'm waiting for more of the maritime provinces to join in because there certainly is a hunting culture there. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic that more and more provinces are just saying nope, I don't think so, and well, I mean the feds are going to take notice when either Ontario or Quebec joins in. And so really, I mean, I'll put the call out now. Ontario, where the hell are you? Northern Ontario is full of hunters and fishers and trappers. Well, and I mean, something like this, it really... um, It really accentuates the cultural divide between rural and um, urban Canada because we've got like out here in BC we've got you know Vancouver and Victoria and then we've got the rest of the province um, otherwise because because our, our our interests do not align with those of Vancouver or Victoria and Vancouver's interests do not align with the rest of the province and I said it on this show a couple of years ago and I'm saying it again. Like, B.C. should not be one province. B.C. should be two provinces. And uh, and, I, and I believe that about Ontario, too. Southern Ontario should be its own province. The rest of Ontario should be another. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, they, because, I mean, it's it really sucks living in a, in a province where, you know, the overwhelming majority, uh, you know, land-wise, land-wise, the overwhelming majority of our of our province has a culture of hunting and fishing and and outdoor living and lifestyle. And then you've got Vancouver, but whatever Vancouver wants dictates to the rest of the province. And the same thing in Southern Ontario. The GTA dictates to the rest of the province. And uh, and it's... There's a lot of province out there. Maybe not a lot of people, but there's a lot of province. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Yeah. All right, so let's, let's, since we're in Ontario, let us talk a bit about what's happening in Ottawa. The uh, Freedom Convoy the Public Inquiry has already been ongoing, but now they have called set out their their witness list. 65 names are on the list of witnesses who must testify under oath and they can be cross-examined. And to that, I love that part about it. I'm a little concerned about who is on that list. Uh, Trudeau, Freeland, Mendicino are all on that list. Fantastic. Tamara Leach, Chris Barber, Ben Dichter, all the key organizers of the convoy are on that list. Great. Pat King is on that list, which I don't really like because he's a nut job that the convoy really tried to distance themselves from. And also on the list, and one of the first ones to speak, was Zexy Lee, who was the lady who had begun the class action lawsuit against the Freedom Convoy for honking of their horns. So, Yeah, she's claiming uh, hearing loss. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's actually laughable. <laughs> hearing loss. Oh, well, I mean... Uh, Having been in the business for 27 years, my hearing's still fine, so um, I'm not buying it. Yeah, I'm not buying it either. I mean, it's like... You know, I can I sue the government for money loss? Like, because that's more real than this. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, uh, that, that that's actual hardship. <laughs> yeah. And, no, uh, it, it's the thing is, is like Pat King. I don't know why Pat King is there. I mean, the only thing I, the only reason I think Pat King is there, is because the Liberal and NDP uh, members of that of that committee want him there to discredit the convoy uh, as much as they can. Because Pat King really didn't have a whole lot to do with the convoy. Uh, nobody really, nobody that actually is an actual organizer of the convoy acknowledges that he was part of the convoy because he wasn't he claims he was part of the convoy the convoy says no no he was never an organizer or a leader yeah and uh andrew lawton in his book uh the freedom convoy the inside story of three weeks that shook the world if you haven't got it and read it yet please do uh he he says right out in the flat out in the book that they uh the people who actually were organizers actually asked Pat King to bugger off. They said, "Don't come to Ottawa. We don't want you." And he just tagged along anyway. Yeah. So, hey, so you all the way that he was an organizer. Yeah, and so I think you're absolutely right. They've got him on the list because they want to to say, "Oh, he was your organizer." They they want to do the Evan Solomon trick. Oh, see, Pat King, Canada Unity wanted to overthrow the government. See, it's right there on their website. And yeah, they want to pin that and say, "Yep." It, Pat King was the man. Yeah, exactly. But here's the problem. The testimony we've been hearing so far, especially from the police, it's so damaging to the liberals that uh, the only people that are going to pay any attention to Pat King are the liberal media. And nobody watches CBC or CTV anymore anyway. Yeah, that's true, and and you're right. Yeah, because the uh, the OPP flat out said, nope, we uh, we didn't ask for any help, and we've already heard other police agencies say, nope, we didn't ask for the Emergencies Act, and it's come out again, even in the media, that the 
border blockades at Windsor and at Coots were already being taken down through existing police authorities in Alberta and Ontario. Uh, so uh, it's got it's it's starting off so bad that Justin Trudeau is already daily talking to the media to plead his case that it was targeted, time limited, it was necessary, etc. In the media, and uh, Brian Lilly actually wrote an article pointing out that if Trudeau was pleading his case like this in the media in an actual trial, he would be uh, in contempt of court right now. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate part about this committee, these committee hearings, is that um, if they can lie all they want because they can't be prosecuted for it. Well, yes and no. I mean, they can't be prosecuted. You're right. But they are under oath, and they can be cross-examined by lawyers. So they, they're under yeah, oath. But they're, but they're un, well. I mean, I guess they can lie if they can lie convincingly, and Trudeau's good at that. So. Well, it does. It really doesn't mean anything to be under oath unless it's punishable by law, and it's not punishable by law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? You're right. I mean, he takes an oath when he when he became prime minister too, and he hasn't. And that hasn't made him a good prime minister. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it, the thing is, is that it's not enforceable by law that they tell the truth at this at these committee hearings, which which sucks. It, it should be. Yeah. You, you should be able to be prosecuted for lying to the committee if if you uh, if you you know go under oath and and. Uh, and provide evidence or provide testimony. You should be accountable for it, but you're not. And so it really doesn't mean anything. Um, I, uh, but the thing that we have found out from the police so far, from the OPP, is that A, they didn't ask for the Emergencies Act, and B, the Emergencies Act was not necessary. They, they flat out said that in their testimony. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, what else I found out in testimony, see, the government of Alberta is also actually represented in the, the witness list, and Scott Moe, Premier of Saskatchewan, actually had, had announced that in the the phone calls with, with the Premiers, that Trudeau didn't actually consult the Premiers on the Invoking of the Emergencies Act. He actually just told them that he was going to do it. And so that First Minister's phone call was was not a consultation call it was uh, this is what I'm doing call and I thought wow a decision that big and yeah well I mean I guess that's Trudeau's MO I mean uh, why would I take any advice when I know everything yeah and and the other thing that we we found out was that and it's just something that we had heard before but never officially like this was that the Freedom Convoy organizers were in constant contact with the Ottawa Police Service before arriving in Ottawa. And they knew where they were going, where they were parking. The police were, you know, working with them to make sure that there was as little disruption as possible to the city of Ottawa. And this... This term of an occupation is so disgusting because it wasn't and the the federal liberals even 
went around downtown Ottawa trying as best they could to give away millions of taxpayer dollars trying to find businesses that were affected by the by the by the the trucker convoy and they couldn't find any yeah that's right and, and, and in fact many of those businesses made record profits during those three weeks yeah, you're right. Because they did these, they uh, they literally went around to businesses saying, "Yeah, if you were affected by the Freedom Convoy, and there was, yeah, there, I'm sure there were some takers, but the overwhelming majority were like, um, no, no, we're actually we're good. We can't justify it." Yeah, like the coffee shops and everything. They said the truckers were actually coming in and sweeping their floors and stuff like that because they were, they they, you know, because that's the kind of people that were there. That's the kind of people that were on Parliament Hill, not not the people trying to burn down apartment buildings. Like they're still trying to say, by the way, yeah, even oh, yeah. though that's even though the police services said they got the people who tried to do that and they weren't part of the trucker convoy. Yeah, that's right. And they uh, they even uh, they were forced to admit that the the douchebag with the with the swastika flag was not legit. Yeah. And it, but, they've, but the liberals are still saying that they were trying to burn down apartment buildings, that they were Nazis and all of this, even though the police have said none of that is true. So this is why I'm saying, like, putting them under oath really doesn't mean a damn thing unless it's actually enforceable by law. And and since it's not, they're just going to spout this the same rhetoric that they've been spouting for the past nine months. Yeah, well, and I I did kind of chuckle to myself when Zexy Lee in her testimony had said how she was, you know, so frightened by the by the convoy and felt threatened. And I thought, was it the hot tub or was it the the bouncy castles? Maybe the the pig roast? Like, what was the most threatening? What what frightened you the most? Was it probably the bouncy castles? I'm guessing. Yeah, probably because you know castles are colonial <laughs> yeah that's right yep so uh yep it's probably it probably was those bouncy castles because that uh that seems it's to be a- what a lot what a lot of the media focused on so yeah they scare me so yeah. <laughs> well uh actually let's take that as a good segue um because what's really scary is a report that came from the surgeon general of florida of all places and what does that have to do with us in Canada? Well, the Florida Surgeon General recommends against 18 to 39-year-old healthy males getting vaccinated. And do you remember why that is, Lewis? Um, yeah, because the, the, the chances of vaccine injury are much, much, much higher than if you just get COVID. Yeah, and uh, the number I pulled off of that was there was among the vaccinated, healthy 18 to 39 year old males, there was an 84% increased risk of heart troubles among those vaccinated people. Doesn't mean that 84% of the, the healthy males had any heart troubles, it just means that their risk was increased by 84 bloody percent. Yeah, that's scary. That is pretty much in line with what you and I have been saying for the past year and a half. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, really, it falls in line with the Great Barrington Declaration, which you and I supported right from the start as well, because it said exactly what we had said from the start, is leave those healthy young folks, you know, male and female, leave them alone, let them catch this thing, get the herd immunity, and take care of those who are at risk. <laughs> yeah. But boy, and, and because they put, because the uh, Florida Surgeon General put that out, he put it out on Twitter and immediately got sanctioned by Twitter. Why is that not surprising? Like, how crazy is that? Yeah, drops a truth bomb and then uh, gets censored for it. Yeah. But yeah, see- now big tech is telling government what is true and what's not. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's crazy when the Surgeon General is being censored by Twitter because the Surgeon General is actually telling you the truth. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, it's ridiculous. And I, now I don't know why it is that males were affected more so than females, or or perhaps this study was just in that male cohort because I didn't see any numbers for the females. Did you find anything on that report? Uh, Not on that report, but I have seen other reports that show that um, it's around 90% of women had uh, their menstrual cycles disrupted. Yeah, well, yeah, that that doesn't surprise me. I mean, uh, you hear that everywhere. Well, yeah, I mean, I can attest to it. Both of the females in my house, it messed with them bad. Like, like my, my wife was having uh, her period, like, every 10 days for six weeks. Ew. Or for, sorry, not six weeks, six months. Wow. Yeah, like that's... And, and then I, and then we also know someone whose who's, uh, menstrual cycle, their period actually just stopped for eight months and their, uh, and their hormone levels were so low the doctor told them they were in menopause and they were in their 30s. Jeez. And then, and then at the end of eight months... Their period started again, and uh, six months later, she was pregnant. Like this is, like, but but for eight months she was in menopause. Like this is, I mean, when a drug is not even trialed on people. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I actually am saying that. Like. We know, like, the boosters were only tested on eight mice. Pfizer's boosters were trialed on eight mice. They weren't trialed on people. They were trialed on eight mice. And they still won't give us the data from those trials of eight mice. And we approved them anyway. Yeah, and what's uh, really scary on that front is that, well, I guess we are the human trials, and... A Pfizer executive in front of the European Parliament admitted as much. Yeah, yeah, they they admitted that they never even tested the original vaccines for transmissibility, for for the virus transmissibility after getting vaccinated. Well, congratulations, because it doesn't. It doesn't stop it. It doesn't stop you getting it either. It also doesn't. It also doesn't stop you from being hospitalized or killing you. Like, like we've seen 
uh, reports that show that there was no measurable impact in hospitalization or death. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and then this executive, what really cracked me up about this lady is when is I should gotta give credit to the uh, the Dutch member of the European Parliament who grilled her and he said, you know, yeah, I want a simple yes or no answer, and you know, she said that no, they did not conduct any trials and they were working at the speed of science. And I thought, <laughs> um, doesn't science mean that you sort of develop a hypothesis, test said hypothesis, you know, when it comes to vaccines, the whole clinical trials thing, but apparently speed of science just means, um, well, speed of politics in this case. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And I mean, how, especially what was really unbelievable is how you and I were, were always labeled conspiracy theorists over this. And for God's sake, I have to say it again. And I hate saying it because I hate, I hate it. I, I, I hate being right about this stuff. And yet again, we were right about this. Yeah. Well, and the bigger question, and I've asked myself this, uh, you know, in peer groups and probably even on this show is, okay, so what the hell did we put into our bodies? I mean, if, uh, as you said, it didn't stop transmission. It didn't stop you from getting the disease. It didn't stop people from going to the hospitals. In fact, there's even some, some data out there suggesting that it increased people's hospitalization rates or increased yep. the risk of hospitalization. So now I'm thinking, A, I regret taking it. I mean, I took it because I wanted to try to go to a restaurant of all funny things, but what the hell did I inject myself with? Yeah, and I mean, we have a we have another friend. We were, we were just having dinner with her the other night, and she said that after her third and fourth shots, <laughs> after, after her third and fourth shots, she got shingles both times. Wow. Yeah. And we, we, I did a little research and it turns out, oh yeah, shingles is one of the most common side effects. Yikes. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. Like, but, but you know, after watching Dope Sick, it doesn't surprise me. Like it actually, I'm actually a lot more paranoid now about taking any pharmaceuticals at all after these past two years and after watching Dope Sick <laughs> I I don't want to put anything in my body now well I'm with you there I mean I've, I've always taken dietary supplements and vitamins all my life anyway and um, now I'm doing more research into naturopathic uh, sort of medicines I'm not uh, I've never really done that before the, the naturopath route but I'm yeah I'm a little paranoid well, I mean, it, it, when you find out that 25% of all drugs that are approved in the U.S. and Canada, 25% get recalled. Oh. Yeah. So why did we just blindly trust these pharma companies to come out with a vaccine in record time? Yeah, well, I guess they were uh, re responding to the the political will of those that they fund, right? So, yeah. 
Alright, so we've got one more story Canada to, to wrap on, and this one should be uh, a little bit amusing. So, Oakville Trafalgar High School in the Halton Regional School Division in Ontario has gotten a lot of international attention lately over shop teacher who now goes by the name Kayla Lemieux. And yes, I were, I'm outing all these names on purpose. The uh, Kayla Lemieux is the shop teacher with... Uh, Lewis, you, you describe it the best. How can we describe Kayla Lemieux? <laughs> um, she's the biologically male shop teacher wearing enormous rubber breasts. That, that's that's Kayla Lemieux. Now, the Oakville Trafalgar High School has been standing behind, I guess, Miss Lemieux um, all along, and now they've, well, they've doubled down again, so this has got to be like, not even quadrupled down, like 16th down, and they've now sent a letter out to students of Oakville Trafalgar High School saying... Halloween is coming up, and yes, you can wear costumes or you can wear orange and black to school, but what we're asking you not to do is dress up as Kayla Lemieux. <laughs> yeah, when you tell teenagers not to do something, what do they do? They, they, they do it in spades. Yeah, I am calling on every single student at that school to dress up as Kayla Lemieux. Absolutely. I, th I think you're going to see huge prosthetic boobs all over Oakville on Halloween night. And I hope to hell that somebody puts some video on YouTube of all those costumes. And I, I find it funny that the school is telling the students not to do that when they're supporting the teacher doing it. You know, that's a good point. Then the students could pull the angle that, hey, we're in solidarity with our shop teacher with the enormous prosthetic breasts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, and, and I mean, everybody knows, everybody has seen the photos. I mean, these breasts are not like just big. They're not just enormous. It's like having two, you know, kindergarten students hanging from your neck. <laughs> so when, you, when you say that, you're, I, I listened to that Joe Rogan interview with Tulsi Gabbard that you'd recommended to me. And, yeah. They, they talked about this a little bit and he he made that kind of a reference as well he said like those things are just uh, unnaturally huge and uh, he he I don't think he couldn't get over it he was just he was just beside himself with uh, with this one yeah it's so it's so crazy I mean and, and, oh and and I really do recommend you go people go listen to uh, both Tulsi Gabbard's own podcast and the episode that she is on with Joe Rogan because she is so right about everything that she brings up on that those episodes. True, yeah, and uh, yeah, they they did have a good laugh at the expense of uh, of of Kayla Lemieux, and I I hope to hell that that as many students as possible are running around Oakville on Halloween night with great big prosthetic fake boobs yeah and uh and i and i still i'm still holding out hope that that rumor i heard is true that he's he's a conservative and he's doing this as a troll uh to prove a point 
Um, I really, really hope that that's what it is. But if it's not, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too because I think I would, I would feel like there's a bit more sanity involved if indeed he is just just trolling. But yeah, uh, yeah otherwise, man, oh man, that's uh, probably one of the most tasteless transitions ever. Well, the school and the school district are have really fallen into that trap of of of, of, of being too woke. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. All right, Canada. So we're going to leave it there because it's nice to leave you laughing once in a while because usually we leave you crying. So <laughs> we do. So, we do. So today we'll leave you crying with laughter. And uh, yep, we'll have a little bit of time for Halloween. So we will remind Oakville students at least one more time please dress up like Kayla Lemieux. <laughs> yeah. So until next week, Canada. Do want to thank you for joining us uh, from Tony in Saskatchewan and Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada.